The title of my message today is The One. There's so many different aspects I can go with just that phrase. But what my focus is today is that you are the one. Despite of your circumstances, despite what you're going through today, you are the one that God is after today, your heart. I need to preface this message by exhorting you to prepare your heart. Whatever you need to do in this moment to say, God, here is my heart. Repair what you need to prepare. Restore what you need to restore. And have your way, Holy Spirit, over my soul right now. Over the last couple of months, God has shown me the importance of the one to him. As one that runs a business, seeing consistent high numbers is very important to me. What happens when you don't see the numbers that you need to in your business? Is that one customer you serve for that one day as important as the multitudes that come the next day? God had to correct me over the last couple of months about this. Keep your eyes fixed on the one in front of you and God will take care of the rest. Now I'm asking you, who is the person or one issue you've been overlooking? Pastor Donna talked about last week, I believe, the comfy blanket syndrome. Everybody has a comfy blanket, a comfy couch, a comfy recliner. Everybody has their comfy spot in their, in their living room. Focusing on the one you've been overlooking, ignoring or even praying that God will use someone else to speak to. He's ripping the comfort off and calling you to a deeper level with him. He will be with you when he has your yes. So I started out strong. Let me back up a little bit. My gifting is prophetic while teaching. So some would say that I'm a prophetic exhorter. So if I come off strong, it's okay. I've been sitting with God all, all these couple weeks and just basking in him and what he has to say. So nothing comes from the flesh and everything from the heart of the Father. I'm going to share a blog that I wrote. It's funny that this happened the way it did because I had sent this to Pastor James months ago and because of internet and I don't deal with that stuff. Now I'm able to share it and this, this word that I wrote months ago has exactly to do with the message that God put on my heart for this sermon. It's called, You Are Seated With Him. At our house, sitting together at the dinner table is a big priority. To, joy, to enjoy a nicely prepared meal, even if it's just pizza from a box. <sighs> gives our children the sense of togetherness and ingrains in them the priorities that, as they get older. It seems to be an old school thought, 
but going through Scripture, it seems to also be a priority to God that, was, that we sit with him for a feast that he has prepared. In the midst of our trials and shortcomings and busyness, we forget that we are seated with him. According to Ephesians 2.6, he raised us up from the dead and living and seated us with him in heavenly places. As believers and followers, we struggle with this because we forget to leave our old dead self behind. We try to convince God that we aren't worthy of a seat at his table because, insert your shortcoming. He says, no, son, no, daughter. It has nothing to do with what you can or can't do, but all to do with what I did on the cross. Now just receive. God has prepared a table in the midst of your enemies, according to Psalm 23, verse 5. You may say, I don't have any enemies, but what I really felt like God is speaking to here is those demons that come to smear your past in your face. The ones that remind you of your day-to-day failures. He hasn't completely destroyed those enemies, but they are still defeated. You know, I was preparing, even up to the moment I fell asleep last night, the enemy was in my ear. You're not good enough. You didn't prepare enough. You didn't do enough. You didn't read enough. Over and over and over. And I just smile and go to sleep. (laughs) What am I going to do? I'm sitting at his table enjoying the feast while the enemy barks in my ear. And they can only do nothing but keep their distance and bark. (laughs) He hasn't, yeah. This means despite what you're walking through or facing at this moment in your life, he's inviting you to sit at the table he has prepared so that he can refresh and reestablish you. Up Psalm 23, 4 through 6. I just want to read through that. Even when I walk through the darkest valleys, didn't say if, didn't say maybe, it said when I walk through the darkest valley, because there's valleys coming. I'm just going to give you the truth. There's a valley coming. There's valleys you've been through. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. So he says, anointed my head with oil. Many have translated this as God's healing David's heart and refreshing him, preparing for the next season. He's inviting you to sit at his table despite your circumstances and despite your valley, so that he can refresh and restore you for the next season. He has a next season for you. There's something else he has in store for you. This isn't the end. This valley isn't the end for you. There's one more very important aspect I want to touch on, that is the ability to sit at his feet. As someone that can certainly stay busy doing the Lord's work, 
I have gained a lot of wisdom from him about the importance of just sitting at his feet and receiving all that I can for the moments I have with him. In Luke 10, 38 to 42, we read the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus was just passing through the town, and Martha invited him into their house. Here's the thing. She invited him, but busied herself with other things and missed the moment of soaking in the revelation he had at that moment. We accept him into our heart, but then we get busy with our lives and forget the one necessary thing, which is spending time with him. In conclusion, I hope you hear the Father's heart. You are seated with him. He prepares a table for you in the midst of your enemies. The most important seat you can have is at his feet. For a lot of you this season, he is reviving, replenishing, and reestablishing you. Now this morning, I want to speak to the one, the one who is down and out, the one who feels separated from God, the one who lost their way, the one who's seeking direction, the one in the valley, the one who's grieving, you, you, are still seated at the king's table. You are still loved by God, the one that created you, knit you in your mother's womb, and knows every detail of your life. You still have an inheritance that is unchanged and unmoved by your current season and fully accessible right now. Your performance, nor your position, will ever be as important as your posture towards him. We're going to turn to Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Sorry, back it up a little bit if you can. Verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Pastor Donna said last week, By grace through faith and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places. You are seated with him. I'm, going to, I'm just going to repeat this so somebody gets this day. You are seated with him right now, despite your current tough season, despite what you're going through. Let's turn to 1 Peter 1, 4 through 11. I'm going to throw a lot of the scripture at you, but I feel like it's very necessary today. We stop at 7, that's fine. 
We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish. Everybody say never. 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 It is promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm. And according to the Passion Translation, it says it's accessible right now. Not just for heaven. Not everything's just saved in heaven. God wants to bless you right now with spiritual blessings. Through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. May the thought of this cause you to jump for joy. Even though, lately, you've had to put up with grief of many trials. Do you hear what he just said? He said, jump for joy, even though you're going through all this stuff right now. But these only reveal the sterling core of your faith, which is far more valuable than gold, that perishes for even gold is refined by fire. What did Pastor Don talk about the last two weeks? Fire. This fire is the fire of testing your faith. These trials are testing your faith. These seasons are testing your faith. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit to give you a little bit of history. 2021, we took over our business, took a step out, my wife and I, and we're doing really well. And by the end of 2021, God spoke to me and asked me to lay it down. Said enough. And for a man, for men to be successful and to lay something down is a battle. Because we just want to keep going as men. We just want to keep winning and building. But the hardest part is when God asks you to lay something down, you do it. In obedience. I want to give you three points, three keys to your posture. First key is to trust. When you're sitting at his feet or you're sitting at his table, you're trusting him to supply you and protect you from your enemies. The second one is gratitude a state of being grateful. I just finished a devotional on staying in gratitude through everything and thanking God through everything and keeping that heart of gratitude towards him that despite what you're seeing is not what you want, that the best is yet to come. The third one is obedience. Obedience isn't just hearing, but acting upon it. So when God asked me to lay it down, I gave him my yes. 
And as we walked into 2022 and finished that season of our life, and I sat there the, the day after we closed up our, our business, and I thought, this is the worst feeling ever. I sat there with a cup of coffee at, at my porch and thought, this really stinks. Like, just talking to God, like, this stinks. This isn't what I want to be doing. But through that season of being obedient and trusting him and laying stuff down, I had the confidence and the trust that he was going to work it out for good. And not only be just good, but exceedingly and abundantly more than I can ask for. See, there's a level of trust you have to get to with God when you go through these things because it can tear you down. I was just sitting here thinking about my years being alive. And at six years old, I was in a car accident that almost killed me. And at nine years old, my parents were divorced. And at 13 years old, I had major back surgery. And at a young age, became addicted to pornography. By 17, he broke that off my life. Because at six years old, I just gave my life to God. The story goes that I went into my closet as a little boy because my dad told me to get into my prayer closet, so I went into my clothing closet and gave my life to God. Do you think at six years old I would have gave my life to God if I knew that I'd have to walk through everything I went through? No. But every season of every season of my life, I trusted that he was going to walk me through because at six years old, I gave my life to God, and I knew that he was God over it all. And despite what I faced through my teenage years, through my rebellion, all the way up to 21, where I rededicated my life to God and never looked back, there's stuff that can literally take the life out of you that you walk through. But trusting that God will see you through it and obeying his word when he speaks, not just listening to God, but acting on what he's asking you to do, whether it's restoration in your family, whether it's walking through the valley that you didn't want to walk through, whether it's facing circumstances that you haven't wanted to face, he needs your yes today. Let's go to Psalm 33. 18 through 22, and this will be in the English Standard Version. I picked all these different versions because I feel like it just speaks to the message. And I'm not one of those people that's a King James only. Because I feel like a lot of these versions really speak to the heart of what it's trying to say. Everybody still here? I gotta find it. Did I give you that one? Psalm thirty three eighteen.
behold, the Lord's eyes upon those who fear him, who revere him and worship him with all, who wait for him and hope in his mercy and his loving kindness to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. Our inner selves wait earnestly for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For in him does our heart rejoice because we have trusted, relied, and been confident in his holy name. Let your mercy and loving kindness be upon us in proportion our waiting and hope for you. I gave you those three, those three keys to posture. Trust, gratitude, and obedience are all found in that portion of the scripture. And I, I'm not one that's read the whole Bible. I can't even get through Psalms. I'm like, this stuff's too good. I just reread and reread. And I'm like, I can't even get through Psalms. Like, how do people just read the whole Bible? So how does this happen? How... How does he hold us up through all this stuff? And I heard this song the other day that was called Steadfast. The God who loves you is steadfast. According to Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. In the English Standard Version, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. See, it wasn't just his heart or his mind or his emotions saying it. It was all of him saying the Lord is my portion. That's trust. That's, that's knowing that God is all that you need. So I, I remember that we were going through declarations. And while I was learning about steadfastness, God gave me this declaration. If he could repeat after me. Because... Of his steadfast love, I am never, never cut off. The word steadfast traces back to the old English word, and I'm going to butcher this, and we practice this over and over again, steadfast, a combination of steadfast, meaning place, and fast, meaning firmly fixed. In one portion I read, it's a soldier that doesn't budge. Now think about that, God being steadfast as a soldier that will not move his position. A person standing firmly in place, not wavering or budging an inch. And you'll have a good sense of what this word means. Someone can be steadfast in a belief an effort, a plan, or even a refusal. Whatever it means, that person will calmly hold firm to that chosen position and follow through with determination. So what's that tell me? It tells me God is firm. He follows through. 
He's got determination, and he does all this calmly. I ask myself, how can it be that through all my ups and downs and good decisions and really bad decisions, he is not moved? In the simplest way possible, the Holy Spirit answered and said, it's in the evidence. There's no explanation needed. It's just who he is. The enemy wants nothing more for you to stay stagnant in the current season of your life you're in. Because he knows if you get a fresh revelation of how much God loves you and how much he has in store for you, that all hell will have to pay. So I wanted to bring Paul up today because I feel like I wanted someone else's testimony of walking through a valley and what that looks like. So in 2021, aside from losing a business, I lost I lost my pastor, my friends. I lost both my pastors. Lost a business. Hardest year of my life. And I was, we were here, and I just remember those moments of the unknown and, like, all that feeling and all that grief and what that felt like. And why, God? Why, why, take, why is he gone? Like, what, what is going on? So Paul is going to come up and share her heart of what that was like to walk through that grief. You can come up. Everybody welcome Paula. Like Nate said about our, our pa- his pastor, um, we went there at that church that Nate went to, um, but we were not going there at the time. However, it still affected me because it happened right outside my house. I got there mm, maybe five to six minutes after it happened, and I wasn't sure that that's who it was, but when I saw the vehicle and, and the person that was my neighbor knew that I knew him. He kind of just looked at me and he said, you need to come over here. So all of that being said, um, while I didn't see it occur, I was there within minutes. I was in shock. I walked that path every day and I didn't know how I was going to do it the next day. I'm like, okay, Lord. I, again, I was in shock. I wasn't even sure what to do because I walk you know I'll, I'll walk through my my city and, and and the town and I have a normal route that I walk through so I started on my walk the next day and I realized I couldn't walk past that scene so I just took a detour turned around and went the other way okay God what do I do now I just continued on my walk finished my walk went home went about my day next morning started on the walk again Walking, 
got to that point where I had to make that turn, couldn't do it. Day after day after day, I couldn't do it. All the while I'm praying, okay, Father, praying for the family, praying for the church, praying, you know, what I knew, but I wasn't really praying for me. I just had this uh, on the inside of me. I couldn't go past it. I didn't want to face what had happened. So, Lord, let today was my prayer. Let today be the day that I can face my anxiety, that I can face my fear, my frustration, my disappointment, and all the other emotions that went along with the grief and the anger. I prayed for those affected by the loss in the midst of the turmoil. All these things swirling in your head. You know, you have to, God knows. He knows all, this, all that stuff that's on the inside of you. He knows, he feels, he hears, he, he just, he sees everything. But he said, I'm here. I've always been here, walking beside you, waiting for you to make the decision. He wasn't going to force himself on me, but he knew that if, that I had to make that decision. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Be, I wanted to do it because he said so, but he was so patient and kind with me that he was waiting for me. It, it, it could have taken me two days. It could have taken me six weeks. It could have taken me six months. But he was waiting for me to make the decision. And the determination, I had to determine in my heart that I was going to walk that way and to face the grief, to face the fear, face the frustration, face the anxiety, face all of that stuff. Because he said, I'm, I'm in you. I'm in you giving you the strength to do what you need to do. And then he said, trust me. Nate didn't know I was going to say this. He didn't, he didn't see any of this. So hear me. It was up to me to do it. God wasn't going to make me do it. He could have said, you can live the rest of your life with that fear, with that anxiety, with that, with that grief. I had to do it. I had to make the determination in my heart. Okay, we're going to do this. He was patient, waiting, loving me, leading me on the path. But again, I had to make the decision. So it took about a month to muster up the courage to turn the corner. Walking down the same path I've been walking for about a month. All of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I just kind of felt well, I'm going to do it this day. So I keep on walking. I'm like, okay, I'm taking a deep breath. Now, I wasn't breathing because it was uphill and I was kind of winded at the time. But I was just taking the deep breath like, okay, God, here we go. Let's do this. It's you and me. It's you and me. So I took a deep breath. I started coming up that hill and I was hit with all those emotions that I felt every day. Hit with the fear hit with the anxiety, hit with the frustration. But at that point, I knew I didn't want to go one more day. I couldn't go one more day with all of that rolling and, and, and tearing on the inside of me. I couldn't do it. So I took a step, and I took the next step, and then I took the next step. And before you knew it, I was, I was looking, but I wasn't looking. You know, I, I, I saw it, but I was like, I'm just going to keep my eyes focused. He said, just trust me. Just keep going, keep focusing on the end, on what you need to do. So I did it, and I pushed through to the other side. But I couldn't have done it if he wasn't with me. Because before all of that happened, I had to know that I know that I know that he's with me. Because if we don't know that down on the inside of us, I didn't wake up that morning thinking, oh, there's a tragedy that's going to happen today. i got to get prepared for it. Stuff happens. Things come at you. Life throws you a curveball, and you have no idea when, 
where or how you're going to handle it. But if you know that you've got that rock on the inside of you, that solid rock, that firm foundation that he says, I'm with you in this. I got it. Just lead. Just let me lead you. As scary as it might be, as frustrating as it might be, as, as impatient as I was because I wanted to do it and I wanted to get past this, I had to just say, okay, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to learn. What am I learning out of this? And I, I, there's times I still go past that seat and I'm like, I... I mean, it still rises up on the inside of me. I'm not going to lie. It does, because you can never get over something when you see that happen. Point is, I chose to trust and listen to what he had to do, and I had to obey him. I listened, but if I wouldn't have obeyed, I'd still be walking, and I'd still turn around and take that detour again and again and again. So that obedience was part of my walking out of it, walking to the other side and getting through and, and, and doing the next step. So, so I'm not going to get frustrated the next time as much because I know that he's with me. And I knew that, but something on the inside of me shifted when I just knew that, okay, God, it's, it's you and me. It's almost like you could almost, could almost feel him behind me, pushing me, going, you can do it. You know, kind of like, wasn't like the little engine that could. I wasn't doing it in and of myself. He was, he was with me and, and, and encouraging me from behind, so to speak. So I've been reading this book, and it was referring to Matthew 14, the story of Peter walking on the water. In it, the author states... I think trusting in God looks a lot like Peter stepping out of the boat, not knowing whether the water would hold him. It's believing that God who feeds the 5,000 and heals the sick will take care of your needs even when it's impossible. When we fix our eyes on Jesus across those waves and decide that the water will hold us, that's trust. Trusting in God means ignoring the voices that tells you it's impossible and walking toward the one who tells you to come to him. It's knowing that he specializes in doing the impossible. Note that when Peter does begin to doubt and start to sink, Jesus doesn't shame him, doesn't make him feel bad about it. He helps him. He catches him. There was no punishment, no condemnation, just an earnest reminder that Jesus has this under control if Peter will only let him do the thing. So for me, it had to be telling the enemy, and I was telling the enemy, not today, Satan. Today, I choose to believe that God is in me, and he is with me in this battle, and I am coming out on the other side stronger, more free, full of courage and confidence, that, whenever I, that when I went more full of confidence than when I went in, because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So today, if you're in a valley, could be a valley of grief, a valley of fear, of the future, of job decisions, financial turmoil, failed friendships, sickness, disease, and all the other things that are happening. If you're saying to yourself, God, I don't know how you're going to fix this, then I encourage you to get out of the boat, take his hand, and let him lead you out of the valley into the place where you can be free and walking in all he has for you. So good, so good. 
funny she was talking about a boat because we were just on a cruise ship a couple months ago for the first time. And the cruise ship never tells you that a storm's coming. In fact, they leave the dock and everything's such a big celebration. And that next morning we woke up in the middle of a storm. The boat was rocking. And I was like, well, nobody communicated this part. Nobody told me there was a storm coming. But I had to trust the captain of the ship. I had to trust that he knew what he was doing and where he was taking us through. And that rained for a full day. Storms. And I've never seen waves like that, ever. And that's how the prophetic works, is being, being prophetically built, you pull stuff from other people. Don't even have to communicate what, what you're talking about or anything, but God knows the message that needs to get through today. So I've, it really just confirmed that the message is, despite what you're walking through in the valley that you're going through, through the grief that you're going through, the unknown that you're walking through, that trust, gratitude, and obedience are key in your season right now. So I'm going to invite the worship up, just the band for them. My favorite time when I get to minister, it's been a couple of years, but my favorite time is always the ministry at the end. And I know people have schedules, and I know you have to go places, but I really feel like we need to take time today and just minister to those people that are grieving, that you're in a tough season. I have four words of knowledge that I got while I was preparing for this message. The first one was an image of a man that comes to church consistently and never gave up his life to God. I'm going to say this boldly, today is your day of salvation. Second one I saw was blinding eyes. This isn't just spiritually, but the doctors have told you that your vision is deteriorating and there's no solutions. The third one I have is word curses passed down from your parents. A lot of people, especially my age, never have dealt with those things that your parents have spoken over you. And you just carry that through life and you carry that through marriage and you carry that through relationships. And then it shows up when you don't want it to show up. So if you want to deal with word curses that are passed down from your parents today, today is your day. And the fourth one I have is currently in grief and don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Again, these are just four things that God pointed out to me. But I want to take this time to invite Travis and Cheryl and Paula up to help minister. So I'm going to end in prayer. You're dismissed if you need to go. But if Travis and Cheryl and Paula could come up and help minister. I've spoken before, but I felt like this message was so important for this time, for a lot of people. And if you just take this moment 
on a Sunday morning. Maybe none of those words apply to you, and that's okay. But don't leave today without dealing with something that's going on in your heart. Be transformed today. Be renewed today. Be refreshed today. So I thank you, Lord, for this time. I I count it as an honor and a privilege to just share your word with the congregation. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just move upon this place right now. That you would just have your way during this ministry time. That those that need to come forward will come forward. And we bless you, Father God. We thank you, God, that we can trust and obey in you and have a seat at your table, even in the darkest valley. We bless the weeks for these people as they go, Father God, that you would protect them and keep them and comfort them during this week, Father God, and you you would just pour your heavenly love all over their week. Have your way, Holy Spirit, in their week and their life. In Jesus' name. And everybody agreement says amen. Thank you so much.